Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Before we start reading the scriptures, uh, one other change you may have noticed. I'm not wearing a jacket today because I picked out my jacket and it doesn't match my shirt and April wouldn't let me. So... She's like, you look like an idiot, take your jacket off. So there's that. All right. Uh, anyway, all right. So Joel chapter number three, starting verse number 15. The Bible says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, and my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in, her, in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. So several weeks ago, we, we began this study through the book of Joel. And Joel is a very interesting book. It's kind of just one of the smaller uh, minor prophets that that kind of gets overlooked a lot. And Joel, he opens up the book of Joel reminding Israel of a devastating locust plague that they had just gone through. This locust had come in in four different stages, had eaten everything, had eaten all the crops, had eaten all the grain, had had killed the trees, killed the vines, uh, just wiped out all the, the food in the, in the silos. And so Israel found itself in a position where there was no food to eat. There was no food growing. The animals were starving. The people were starving. It was poverty. It was pestilence. It was a terrible, terrible situation. And Joel tells them that God had sent this locust plague on Judah as judgment for their sin. Now, he doesn't name a particular sin. He's talking about their, their lukewarm relationship with God. They'd gone through the motions. They were doing the, the, the feasts and the festivals. They were doing the sacrifices. They were giving their alms. They were doing everything that they should have been doing and were supposed to be doing, but their, their heart wasn't in it. And look, if we're honest, we've all found ourselves in those positions where We're doing what we know we need to do. We're going to church. We're tithing. We may even be reading our Bible and praying. We're not getting anything out of it, but we're just doing it because that we're supposed to do. But we just, we don't feel that connection to God. We're going through the religious actions, but we're not enjoying the fellowship relationship 
we have. And so God had sent this plague to Judah as judgment for their apathy towards him, for their lukewarm relationship with him. But then Joel goes even further and says that another invasion is coming. And he says this one's going to be far worse than the locust invasion because this one is not going to be an invasion of insects. It's going to be an invading army. And they're going to conquer Judah. They're going to destroy their cities. They're going to kill everyone they can. They're going to enslave everyone else. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. And again, he says this invasion is judgment by God on their sin, on their apathy. And Joel calls these two invasions, he calls them the day of the Lord. Now, it isn't, it isn't all bad news, though. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not Joel just going, hey, you remember how bad it was? Get ready. It's going to be even worse, suckers. It's not all terrible news. It's a message of hope. Because Joel is telling Judah, yes, God sent judgment, but God sent judgment out of love. And yes, God's going to send judgment again, but he sent me to warn you because he loves you. Because he, he wants to give you hope to redeem, to repent of your sins, to restore your relationship and, and avoid the judgment. So God doesn't send judgment on his children out of anger. He always does it out of love. He always corrects out of love. Who the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. See, God doesn't chasten us or correct us or judge us because he's mad at us, because he's angry at us. He does it because he loves us. So God wasn't trying to destroy Judah with the plague. We know that because they didn't get destroyed. Was it a hard time? Yes, it was a hard time. Yes, there was famine. Yes, there was pestilence. Yes, there was starvation. Yes, there was poverty, but they survived it. If God wanted to destroy him, he would have destroyed them. But he didn't destroy them because that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to wake them up. He was trying to bring them to a place of repentance and restoration. So, yes, there's a lot of imagery and, and doom and gloom and, and terrible things in here. But, in, in honestly, Joel is a message of hope. A message that if they repented of their sins and returned to God then he would have mercy and grace on them. All right, so he told them that if they would repent, then he would have mercy and grace on them. He would, he would spare them the judgment. But he doesn't say, I'll just spare you the coming judgment. He says, I will restore to you everything that was lost in the previous judgment. I will restore the land. I will restore the wine. I will restore the food and the vineyards and the oil. And I will make all things new again for, re for repentance and restoration. And so by the, the middle of chapter 2, everything seems pretty good. The judgments come, but God promises restoration. Judah repents, they, they return to God, so they're, they're spared this second judgment, this second day of the Lord, this invading army that was prophesied earlier. But it, it isn't all good news. Because in chapter 3, Joel tells about a final day of the Lord. A day where God will pour out his wrath and judge sin once and for all where he will pour out his wrath and judge all sin 
once and for all. And so chapter 3 begins with Joel telling of a, a coming day where all the nations of the world will rise up and, and march against Israel. Now, in, in, in our, our circles or in the Bible, we know this day as the, the Battle of Armageddon. It's the final battle before Jesus comes back to earth physically and sets up his thousand-year millennial kingdom. Now, we don't have time to go into the whole end-of-the-world stuff because it's a lot. So we're going we're gonna to touch, I'm going to give you the TLDR, the too long, didn't read version of this. Uh, we're just going to briefly talk about some of the events that are going to happen during the end times because they're important to what Joel's talking about here. So sometime in the future, we don't know when, it could be today, it could be next week, it could be in a hundred years, it could be in a thousand years, we don't know. But sometime in the future... Jesus will return in the air. Remember when Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, that the angel said, why are you guys sitting here gawking? The same Jesus you saw leave will come back in like manner. He, he went into the clouds. He's going to send from the clouds. Now, he's not going to come down to earth, but he's going to come into the clouds, and he's going to call his church home. It's what we know as the rapture of the church. And so this day, Jesus will come and he will call his church home. And all believers who have died before this time, now their spirit's in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their spirit is in heaven, but when Jesus comes back, their bodies will be resurrected in a glorified bodily resurrection. They will receive their glorified bodies. The same body that Christ has now, when he resurrected on the third day, they will receive their glorified bodies and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then the Bible says, those of us that, re that remain, the believers that are alive during this time, we will receive our resurrected bodies, we'll receive our glorified bodies, and we'll go to meet Christ in the air. Now, on earth, we're just going to vanish. It's going to be a, a, a terrible time to not be saved and be left on earth because there's going to be turmoil, there's going to be confusion. I mean, can you imagine the day when millions of people are just gone? Planes are flying, the pilot's gone. Cars are driving down the road, the driver's just gone. People just, just vanish. The panic and the turmoil. And that's what's called the rapture of the church. Now, this event that can happen again sometime in the future. We don't know when. The only thing we're waiting on is it. And so well, sometime in the future, this is going to happen. And that event, the rapture of the church, will, will begin what is known as the seven-year tribulation period on earth and the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. Now, again, I'm not going into the details, but on earth... After the rapture of the church, it will be a three-and-a-half-year period of peace and prosperity. The Antichrist will come to power. He will calm down the world after all the, after all the confusion and turmoil. He will kind of raise up out of this turmoil and, and kind of get everyone calm. And he'll establish a peace agreement with Israel. And so the peace in the Middle East we've been working for for, for decades. We're like, will there ever be peace in the Middle East? Yes, for three-and-a-half years, one day. He'll, he'll establish his peace between Israel and the world, and it's going to be prosperity and peace and great, and, and everything's going to look wonderful on earth for three and a half years. But at the three and a half year mark, some events are going to happen that's going to 
change how everything's good to a, a terrible time on earth where God's wrath is being poured out on sin, where God's sending out his judgment on earth. And so the Antichrist will, he'll, he'll be killed and then he'll rise again. Say, how? I don't know. I don't know if he's actually going to die and be resurrected. I don't know if it's going to look like he's going to die. I don't know. I just know the Bible says he's going to be struck down, he's going to die, and he's going to come back. I don't know if he literally does. I don't know if it, it's a, it just looks like it does. But that's going to happen. The false prophet's going to go make an unclean sacrifice in the, the temple. And then the, the peace agreement that he made with Israel, he's going to throw away. And the entire world is going to, to turn on Israel. And so at this time, at this three and a half year mark, God begins to pour out his judgments on the, war, on the world in the form of these seals that are broken and they're poured out on earth. And there's warfare, there's famine, there's pestilence, there's natural disasters, there's death everywhere. The Bible says it's going to be so bad that men are going to cry out that they just wish the mountains would, would cover them to spare them the pain of living on earth. It's going to be a terrible time to be alive on earth. And so what are we doing? Well, we're in heaven having a marriage up with the Lamb. We're up in heaven with Jesus. All this is happening on earth. Now, again, it's not, it's not all bad. I mean, it's pretty bad, but there's a group of Jewish believers who are, who are preaching. They're seeing people saved. There's a great revival going on. People who are getting saved are immediately getting killed, though. They're being persecuted. It's, it's, it's just, it's a, again, a terrible time. And finally, the Antichrist, he leads the world to attack Israel. And when it seems like Israel is doomed, when it seems like there's no hope for Israel, they're going to be destroyed the clouds open up, and Jesus comes back to earth. He's riding a white horse. He's got, he's got his sword in his hand. We're behind him on our horses. It's going to be a cool scene to be a part of. And it's just it's an incredible image of Jesus coming back to once again rescue rebellious Israel. And so when Jesus comes back, there's an incredible battle, the Battle of Armageddon. The Bible says that it is so terrible that blood runs four or five feet deep in the streets. It's a, it's a massacre that occurs at the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus, he defends, defeats the Gentile army. He sets up his kingdom. He puts Satan in the bottomless pit, chained for a thousand years. Jesus begins his millennial reign. He is sitting on the throne of David, ruling the world on earth. We are ruling with him. People are still here. And this is, this is what is going on. When, when Joel is talking about in chapter 3, he opens up chapter 3 talking about this great day of the Lord. Where God comes and he has the battle and he sets up his kingdom. And then after that, a thousand years later, Satan's released. He tries another battle. Finally, it's just the final judgment of sin. And so Joel is talking about this terrible day. This final day of the Lord. This day where God will judge sin once and for all. Now this is a terrible time for those who aren't saved. This is a terrible time for those who aren't in the safety and protection of the, the salvation of Jesus. Because they have to go through all this. They have to endure. And then after the, after the seven-year tribulation, that if, they're ha if, they're, if they're, hard to say, lucky to live through all that, and if they're lucky to live through the battle of Armageddon, and it's just, and they're, they're, they're something, and they die and go, to, but you know, it's all said and done, they die, if they still have to suffer for all of eternity, 
because God pours out the judgment. This is a terrible time to not be a child of God. But this is going to be a day of, but for those of us in the safety and protection, it's a, it's a day of hope. So there will be the day where the wrath of God will be seen on the entire world. And it's, it's not a pleasant day to think about. You know, none of us like to talk about the wrath of God. You know, even in evangelical Christianity, we love talking about heaven and how wonderful heaven's going to be and getting heaven wrong. Oh, it's got streets of gold and not yet. It's got walls of jasper one day. I got a mansion up there. No, you don't. You know, we, we like to talk about, oh, heaven's wonderful and splendid. And now Trudy's going to play. I got a mansion over a hilltop. And, you know, with the heaven's wonderful and oh, heaven's so great. And we love talking about heaven. We love thinking about heaven. We don't really like to think a whole lot about hell. Where the Bible says that the, the smoke of their torment ascends forever. Where the Bible says the flame is never quenched and the body is never destroyed. Where people who die without Christ will go, not for a week, not for a couple years, not for a thousand years, for eternity. And they'll be tortured and they'll burn forever with never having their body destroyed in pain forever. Se- they'll be separated. They, they're not gonna have, it's not like you're walking around and, oh, well, there's Bob. You know, he's here too. At least we're, not, we're, we're together. No, you're alone. You're scared. You're tormented forever. We don't, we don't like to think about that because it seems unimaginable to think about someone going there. But without the wrath of God, the love of God is worthless. Without his promises of justice and, and righteousness and judgment, his mercy and his grace are hollow. You know, unless there is a real hell to shun, then, then gaining heaven doesn't seem that great. And so unless in this chapter, what Joel is talking about is God's patience and God's long-suffering have reached their end. And he pours out his wrath on sinful creation. And so apart from the saving grace of Jesus through his, his death, his burial, and resurrection, no one will escape this day. Now, if you're saved... That should bring peace because you can know for sure you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You know without a shadow of a doubt, if you died, you're saved and you're in the arms of Jesus Christ. You've accepted His death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin. And if you're saved, that should give you some encouragement because that means you don't have to endure the day of the Lord. But if you're sitting there this morning, you've got some doubts creeping up. She calls you to worry. Because we don't know when this day is coming, but I do know this. If this day comes tomorrow, well, I know it's not coming tomorrow. It'll come in a thousand and seven years. But anyway, if this day comes tomorrow, or if this day comes in a million years, if you died without Christ today, you're going to have to face this day. There's no second chances once you slip into eternity. So if you're sitting there like, I'm not sure, that should cause you to worry. Man, look, That doesn't get us believers off the hook. We don't get to look at this and think, man, it's going to be a terrible day. Whew, sure am glad I don't got to deal with that. I'm just going to go home and live my life. 
this day, the pain, the turmoil of the unsaved, what they're going to have to endure, it should break our hearts. You know, a recent study showed that 60% of the world's population is unsaved. 60%. Let's, now, again, we talk world's population, 60% when they got a lot, but that's probably, you know, that's China, that's India, that's Pakistan. That's all. No, no, no. I want you to think about this. 60% of your family is lost without Christ. 60% of your neighbors are lost without Jesus. 60% of your friends do not know Christ as their Savior. That means, think of your top 10 friends. The top 10 people, and I'm not talking about your Facebook friends, I'm talking about people you actually interact with. The top ten people that you, you want to do life with and you enjoy spending time with and you love, if they're your friends, you're the, you're the top ten people, chances are six of them are going to go to hell when they die. That should break our hearts. That should cause us to say, what can I do now to reach them with the gospel now so they don't have to endure that day? What can I do to, to reach my loved ones and my friends and my family and the rest of the world? You know, it should break our hearts because, look, let's be honest. The task is too big for us. It's too big for our church. It's too big for all the churches in Roanoke. It's too big for all the churches in Virginia. It's too big for all the churches in America. But it's not too big for God. There's hope. Because yes, a lot of the world, a lot of our friends, a lot of our loved ones, if they don't accept Christ as Savior, they will have to endure this terrible day of the Lord. And some of, and honestly, the closer you are to someone, the harder it is to reach them. You know, it's easy to reach a stranger, talk to them about the gospel, getting to go through the Bible with them. Because if they get mad, who cares? You don't know them. They get mad, send the door. Oh well. It's hard to talk to a loved one. It's hard to talk to your mom. It's hard to talk to your brother. Because what, what if they get mad and never talk to you again? It's too big for us. But it's not too big for God. And this final chapter of Joel is giving a warning to those who are lost to find salvation. And he does so by focusing on the faithfulness of God. So as we finish this study through Joel... Let's see the promise that Joel gives about the faithless God. Number one, God is faithful to provide a better future. Again, look at verse number 15. Then the sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no strangers passed over anymore. Now it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down with new wine, 
and the hills shall flow with milk, and the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and the fountain shall come forth of all the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. So in these verses, Joel is, is giving some imagery of a powerful moment during the day of the Lord when the sun's going to be dark, the moon's going to be dark, the stars are going to stop shining. During this event, the voice of God will boom down from heaven. It will be so loud and so majestic that all of the earth will shake at his greatness. For the unsaved, this is a terribly frightening moment as they see the full glory and the full power of God. But during this time, God promises to be a shelter for his people. During the most traumatic events in history, God says, the unsaved world, they will hear my voice, they will feel my judgment, they will fear me, but I will shelter my children. I will protect my children. God, during the most traumatic event, God is there for us. This, this chaos, this judgment is due to God's hand of judgment. But with his other hand, he's sheltering his children. Dwayne Garrett said this. <clears throat> he said the, prom, the closing promise that Yahweh would dwell in Zion gives final vindication to the people of Jerusalem. After all their sufferings of locusts, drought, and warfare, the vow that God would dwell eternally among them is the reassurance that they would not be abandoned. In God, they have an eternal home because God dwells among them. In this terrible, frightening time, there is hope and mercy that God has for his children through his riches. God promises to have the mountains flowing with new wine and milk. And God says, I will provide for my children above anything they could ever imagine. God's promise is a land full of productivity and peace. In this day, when God judges all sin, he makes all things right for his children. He will provide. He will protect. He will be there with us. This is an incredible promise for the future of the believer. No matter what we go through on earth, God will be enough for us in that day. We may face tragedy and turmoil. We may face poverty and sickness and famine and pestilence and pain. We may deal with that on earth. But one day, there's a better hope for us. One day, we have a home where God makes all things good, where God makes all things right, and God is there for us. We may not experience true peace on earth. There's going to be battles. There's going to be sickness and pain and heartache. But we know in that day, God will give his children an eternal home of peace and blessings. And that's the hope we have through Joel. That's the hope that carries us through the things we face on earth. You know, it's like road construction. Of course, they're, they're redoing a lot of the road in front of Colonial Avenue over on, at Virginia West. Has anyone ever been over there and seen the construction they're doing over there? They're building three traffic circles. It is terrible right now. The other day, I was stuck in traffic for 45 minutes because three traffic circles, they closed down all lanes but one and all of them, and they just ran and let people through. And so 45 minutes, I'm stuck in traffic waiting to get through. I went through. So right now, I hate it. It's confusing. They're always changing the traffic patterns. I'm getting stuck. I'm getting lost in a circle. Never get lost in a circle? 
But it's just it's like, man, this is, a, this is horrible. But I know one day, maybe, they'll be done. One day, all the cones will be gone. One day, all the paving will be done. And one day, that road will be smooth. It'll be quicker to get through. It'll be safer. It'll be better. It's a better day one day. It's terrible now. But it's a better day one day. That's the hope of Joel. Our life, even if, even if your life is going great, it's, let's be honest, we've all got problems. We've all got pain and heartache. And so we may have troubles now. But one day, one day God promises a better future. God is faithful to promise a better future, a future free of sickness and pain and heartache and wars and turmoil. But there's a second promise God gives us. Number two, God is faithful to fight for us. Look at verse number 19. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. So Egypt and Edom, they are enemies of God's people. And God says they will become desolate places because they stood against God and against his people. Now, this wasn't an easy time for God's people either. Many of them were died in the famine. Many of them were killed in the war and they, they suffered greatly. But God promises that while the unsaved are destroyed, his people will abide with him forever. Why? Because God fought for them. Because God did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. In this future battle, there's no way Israel can win. They're doomed. They're without hope. The entire world is against them. It is a hopeless situation. You know, there's a lot of times in our lives where we want to fight our battles for ourselves. Someone hurts us, and what do we want to do? We want to, we want to retaliate. We want to seek vengeance. We want to take matters into our own hands and fight on our own. But God is the God of justice. And he says he will fight for us. He will execute vengeance on our behalf. He is faithful to fight for us, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to do for us what we need him to do on our behalf. God is faithful to fight for us. Number three... This is the final one. God is faithful to warn us. And this chapter can be scary, especially for the unsaved. Joel is telling about coming judgment. Joel is telling about coming destruction. The day of the Lord he's talking about is one of the, the scariest days in history. It will be a great and terrible day. But there's hope in the warning. There's hope for believers... And there's hope for the lost. For the believer, there's hope that we still have time to reach the 60% of our lost friends, our lost families, our lost neighbors with the gospel. That's why God left us here. Not to get stuff and live a good life and, and be happy, but to shine forth the light of the gospel into a dark world. And so the scene that Joel describes... It should break our hearts and move us. 
motivate us to go to reach those that we can. You know, too many of us were, were going through light, our life hiding the light of the gospel. We're keeping it to ourselves. We, we think our friends, if our friends, if our family is going to be reached, then, then someone else will have to do it. But God put you in their life for you to reach them, to share your testimony with them to share the gospel with them, to invite them to church, because one day, this day of the Lord's going to come, and it's going to be too late. One day it's going to be too late for us to move. One day it's going to be too late for us to try to reach them. After the battle of Armageddon, Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom, and he'll, he'll reign for a thousand years on the throne of David, and after a thousand years, Satan will be loose, and he'll raise an army to go against God, and one more time, and at that time, God will destroy everything. He'll put an end to Satan. He'll put an end to sin. He'll put an end to evil in the world once and for all. And we will have to watch the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, those who died without Christ will be judged for their sins and thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Then the Bible says Satan will be cast in and then God will throw in heaven and earth and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says then he will wipe away all tears. There's an idea that there's no tears in heaven. It's not biblical. The Bible doesn't say that. On the day of the great white throne judgment, I guarantee you, we're all going to be weeping because we're going to see the 60% that we could have reached, that we didn't try to, thrown into judgment for eternity. Now, I'm not saying everyone who tried to reach is going to accept Christ, but we need to try. We need to try to reach them with the gospel while we can before it's too late. There is hope for the believer to get busy giving the gospel. But there's also hope for the unsaved. Because, yes, the day of the Lord is coming, but it's not here yet. There is still time to realize your need of salvation. There is still time to realize you're a sinner condemned to hell. There's still time to repent of trusting whatever you're trusting, whether it's good works or church membership or, or just I'm a, I'm a decent person. Or there is a, there's time to repent of that and put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 that now is a day of salvation. Look, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I've talked to people and I've witnessed to them and I've, I've shared the gospel with them and I've, I've gotten to the point where they know they're a sinner and they're like, okay, well, what would, you, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? Not, not, not yet. I'll do it later. You may not have later. Now, while the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, telling you, I need to get this settled right now. Today is a day of salvation. If you slip into eternity to today, it's too late. You will face judgment on that terrible day. So the day of the Lord is coming, but it isn't here. We don't know when it's coming, so don't wait, don't delay, deal with it today. You know, Joel is a powerful book filled with some terrible imagery, but there's also a lot of hope. 
hope for the wandering Christian that God will always accept you back when you seek him and repent. Hope that it isn't too late and you're not too far gone for his mercy and grace. Hope that he will redeem and restore. Hope that there's still time for us to reach those we love, those we do life with, those we have access to with the gospel, and hope for the lost to miss that final day of the Lord. Find your hope this morning. Let's pray.